fantastic got the freight christmas tree over here got ait ait actually sent this stocking last year those of you i thought that was like a super cool move by them and a smart move too because it stands out a little bit more than the ornaments and then they had this sitting here for like the entire month right so stockings smart idea anyways we're gonna put all your ornaments on this tree rachel she's shaking her head at my stocking idea how dare you rachel no she's just fixing her own hair she says okay Back to it, Rachel. All right. So we need some ornaments for these trees. You guys sent some awesome ones last year. This was one of my favorites. This is from Bob Bussy. Last year's is a BWS one. I know they got a new logo, so I'm going to need a new one, Bobby. Got this one sitting here. Got a whole ton on this box. We're going to get them all on this tree. Uh, I was starting them on Friday. Some of your stuff's already arrived. Appreciate it. Also need those holiday messages. Looking forward to that one. Um, by the way, little quick piece of business. Got to give a shout out to my youngest son. He turned six today. He asked for two things for his birthday. Pokemon and podcast equipment. And this is what we got him. Take a look. Yeah, there we go. You see Charizard over there, Pikachu, Moo. I'm starting to learn all these. I, you know, Pokemon came on like the tail end of when I was a teenager, so I didn't really get into it. But um, I'm learning everything from them. But I got them some nice sure mics. Great to teach the dark arts of podcasting and scale our domination of the world with my six-year-old son. Looking forward to that. As you saw, we got the tree over here. Randy helped pick me out. Randy looking good. Those of you that asked, you got a picture of him. You show that one real quick. I appreciate that. And uh, Luke Velasca, he says, rack or wholesale diesel prices are now at their lowest level since March of 2022 and down nearly 32% from their peak. Finally, a little bit of good news, especially for those of you who've been getting crushed by the rates. Will it stick? Will it last? Will the rail go on strike? Will we all die? Will we starve to death? I don't know, but maybe Rachel Premack from Freightways does. I'm going to talk to her. We got Thomas Healy, Hylion CEO. They just did that big, they had their own Christmas tree delivery, New York Stock Exchange. We talked about that on Monday's show. He's here to give us a Q&A about what went down during that journey. Also talking about reshoring with uh, Macro Fab. We got the back the truck up guys and we got the guys from a newer company I've heard of called Box Lock that's protecting both freight and votes with a lock. So we got a lot to get to, so let's do it. Surge Transportation now offers digital autonomous load booking for our carrier partners. Visit loads.surgetransportation.com 24-7 to book loads at competitive market rates with the click of a button. Also, book it now through leading industry load boards. It's Rachel. What's up, Rachel? Hey, how are you? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? I did. I did. Um, I was in Pittsburgh, and now I am back in New York. Well, that's good. That's good to hear. Your fam- <laughs> Wait, your family's in Pittsburgh? Your fiance's family? No, my fiance's family is. My family's in Detroit. Makes sense. Well, what's going on with the railroads? Are we going to have Christmas this year? Are we going to be fighting in the streets? What, uh, what I saw here, <laughs> at least most recently, was Biden said he's really going to try and push through this deal. They were going to get this thing happening. Um, a lot of people, there was a lot of blowback. He said, you just sold out all these unions. They wanted that extra vacation time or any vacation time. You wouldn't give it to them. Um, AOC was out there. She was calling out her own party. She's calling out her own party members saying you got to support these unions. Um, is something happening? Is the deal coming down? Yeah, so I think it's pretty likely now that we will avoid a strike. Even those on the furthest left are, you know, agreeing to vote for a agreement that does force the White House's brokered tentative agreement that says, you know, 
you're not going to strike. This is the agreement you're going to go with. But people on the far left, as well as the far right um, lawmakers like Marco Rubio, Bernie Sanders, AOC, as you mentioned, all of these lawmakers are saying, okay, we still need to deliver this paid sick leave to those employees. So I think it's pretty likely we will avoid a strike. The question now is, are we going to see those seven days of paid sick leave uh, delivered to uh, rail workers? What is the issue there? Because there's been some confusion on sick day or if there's not sick day, you actually put this tweet out and it said it's worth noting that the three periods of paid medical leave provided in the tentative rel agreement brokered by Biden has a big loophole. The medical care visit must take place on a Tuesday, a Wednesday or a Thursday, and you need 30 days notice required. I can see why some people may be upset. Yeah, so as as people have mentioned or noted on Twitter and elsewhere recently, rail workers do have about four weeks of paid time off. The most senior rail workers actually get up to seven weeks of paid time off. So they do have this big pot of paid time off. The question is, how can they use it? Um, Especially as we saw rail staff cuts uh, these past few years, rail workers are pushed to work more and more. They're on call more often. So let's say you have strep throat, you really can't come into work, you're feeling really sick. Um, you could call in and say, hey, I can't make it today, but they could ju- the your employer could say, well, we don't have anyone else working. You have to come in. And yes, so sure, you do have all of this pay time off, but it's the question of can you use it or not? And many rail workers are just saying they cannot use their pay time off if they have a doctor's appointment or if they're feeling sick or even if, let's say, they have their son's baseball game that Saturday and they want to make sure they have that day off. Uh, So that's really what uh, these unions are asking for is more flexibility in how they can, you know, have some distance from work and actually be able to plan out their lives. As I understand it, they they use some sort of a a point system, right? So you could if you know, if you're sick, you're sick. You could call in sick, but then you have a point like your social score or your score within your company. Um, I've been thinking about this. I, I don't know the exact number on, on your score there, but how do you enforce something like that in where there's something as strong as a union? You know, I can see where a lot of the abrasiveness between two sides are, are, are hitting, um, although I kind of understand where the workers are coming from wanting that, that sick time. Yeah, so BNSF was one railroad in particular that adopted this uh this, uh, as you mentioned, is kind of like demerit system where if you take time off, this uh, you accrue points, and the more points you accrue, you are likely to lose your job or to receive more serious disciplinary action. Uh, the railroad BNSF said in June that they uh, stopped doing this program, but the damage was kind of done because hundreds of were of their rail staff actually quit in protest of this program. So it's kind of this uh, really challenging spiral to the bottom where you have reduced staff in order to keep your trains running, you push those staff to work more and more. And in protest of those agreements, that staff quits. And then, you know, the, the spiral just keeps going on and on and gets worse and worse, basically. And railroads have been successful in the most recent months in uh, getting more staff on and uh, getting their their training uh, back up, but it's it's a it's a big gap between how much staff they had you know five years ago to now for sure. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess it's good news that it sounds like it's getting done. Um, unfortunately for those that fought very hard to get some, uh, some more protection or some more sick days, they weren't able to, to push that through. But on the other hand, billion dollar a day problem were this to go through, um, a huge change in how we would manage everything. You thought toilet paper gate at the beginning of COVID was something you ain't seen nothing yet. So glad they got it done. And which the, the sick leave might actually come through. We're, we'll see that this week, whether or not Ooh. that actually passed. So there is still a, a chance that the sick leave does is guaranteed, but not quite sure yet. Okay. Well, you know, it's that time of the day. It's that time of the game. Can he go two in a row? You think? Rachel playing so. okay That's boomer. Good. By the way, okay boomer made by a great guy named Joe Speziak. He uh, also runs a 3PL. He's been on the show. He gave us this trivia game. If you're looking for a great holiday gift, go get okay boomer. Not even sponsored. I just like trivia and I think it's really cool that he also runs a trivia game company. So I've been using these. And here's this one Entertainment. What is the name of Dexter's sister from the cartoon show Dexter's Laboratory? Oh, God. I know this. I do know this. Mm. Dexter. It's not like Polly, is it? I just well, it it's close. Dee Dee, it's, Dee Dee. it's Dee Dee, Rachel. I'm glad Dee you're back. To, oh. I'm glad you're back to normal. I'm glad we're back to your losing ways and uh, getting yeah. getting these <laughs> wrong. I yeah, it's all is well in the world again. <laughs> Well, great. Go check out Modes. Rachel's going to, she's been all over TV, not just What the Truck. She's been on NPR and whatnot, talking about these rail strikes all day. She's probably writing about them too. So go to FreightWaves.com, check them out, subscribe to her newsletter. Uh, it's almost caught up to the What the Truck one. It only has about twice as much to go to get there, but one day you'll be there, Rachel. You can also subscribe to mine at FreightWaves.com slash WTT. All right. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> she's the best. All right. It is Misha Mm, I will let him say the last. It's CEO at MacroFab. It is Mr. Misha. How are you, sir? I'm doing great. I didn't know the dress code included band, band shirts. I would have worn mine. Oh, you can wear whatever you want, man. Did not know. I'm trying to trying to look respectable here. Oh, yeah, that's not the show. You're on the wrong show if you're trying to look respectable. That's not the show. First time, but I'm, I'm hoping you're back. So, hey, what I love here, so know what's really funny. So we we booked you, and just last night I was talking to our CEO over here about reshoring and nearshoring, and I was like, you know, we hear so much talk about reshoring and nearshoring, but I haven't seen, like, I need to do more research myself, which companies are, are have gone and, and how, what directions is going and how much volume has really actually shifted from overseas. Fortunately, this happens to be one of your specialties, isn't it? It is, yeah. That's one of the areas where we're very active. That's true. So what are you seeing in the nearshoring and reshoring space now? Is it really as electric as the conversation around it sounds? Or is that just planning in words? Or is action happening? Uh, two perspectives for you. So yeah. before the pandemic started, um, I think a lot of the reshoring and nearshoring talk was just that. It was primarily talk. And we didn't see a lot of uh, real action. And if you looked at where the indices were going, they were roughly flat. The reshoring index was really going sideways. Um, fast forward uh, three years from the uh, pandemic start, and I think it, it, the momentum really started with the, with the tariffs. Um, I think the supply chain people have finally had enough. And I think there, there's a non-trivial number of people now um, doing reshoring and, or looking into it. And uh, if you look at the, at the reshoring indices and especially job creation, uh, net new job creation in manufacturing, those charts are going up. Now, if you zoom out and you say, does this mean China is no longer uh, a global manufacturing superpower? Not even close, right? But we are seeing trend lines 
um, start to go up and to the right. And then we're starting to see growth in North America. And it's not just U.S., it's uh, it's Mexico as well. And just empirically, right, I'm having companies out of Taiwan reach out to me and say, hey, my customers are telling me, put in place some kind of a plan to produce at least a portion of something in North America because China hasn't invaded Taiwan yet. But now with Russia and Ukraine, we're not taking anything for granted. No, you can't. I mean, the decoupling that everyone talks about. And the big argument is it China decoupling from the U.S. or U.S. decoupling from China. Either way, it doesn't make a difference. It's dramatically, it's dramatically disruptive what is happening. But that brings up a good point. Like right now in the news cycle in China, you have Foxconn and you've got the protests going on and you've seen what's happened in some of the factories there. Do we necessarily want made in America after we've seen what made in China looks like? Or do we? Like, do we need to provide better conditions for people? And I know, look, we can say that it's for conditions for people. We know it's about money. But um, is there another moral side to this, too? That could be good. You know, in absolute terms, um, I don't think we want all of manufacturing that happens worldwide to happen in North America, right? It's not feasible and it's not, not practical. Now, we do too much manufacturing today outside of our region, and, the, and that region can be defined either as uh, contiguous U.S. Uh, or North America, right? I think we have a very defensible position uh, between Canada, U.S., and Mexico. Um, the, just um, in terms of national security, it's very difficult to mess with an entire continent. But the reality of it is we build too much in Asia right now, and especially things that are mission critical, right? So there's too much of the supply chain necessary for critical infrastructure, for components to go into high-value intellectual property, industrial controls. You know, these are things that we may want to keep back in North America, but it doesn't really mean that we want to bring back things like iPhone manufacturing. In fact, I don't think it's even possible, right? Uh, yeah. There's, there's, what, almost 400 million people in the U.S. So the, the compensation levels are pretty high, so we're not going to bring back low-cost manufacturing Mexico is phenomenal, right? There is over 100 million people there. Um, their standards of living have been flat. That is the next area where we really should invest manufacturing-wise. And I think there's plenty of uh, of those jobs that should come back to Mexico that used to be in Mexico and then left. Uh, it's time to bring those back, and I think it's better all around. Does that mean that we're going to build iPhones in U.S.? No, yeah. we're going to build iPhones in India, most likely, right? There's just not enough people uh, in North America to do that, right? Who Who is the big winner? We've heard of the CHIPS Act. That should obviously bring some some productivity here domestically. Uh, automotive seems like a, another category that could be a big boon from um, reshoring and nearshoring. I mean, they already do a lot of cross-border with Mexico and Canada with car parts to begin with. And if you work on that side of the industry, you uh, you deal with that. But that that pace has been increasing. We've definitely seen that there. It's automotive and energy especially, right? And it's things that, uh, especially if it's not, uh, the fracking industry got nothing uh, in, the, in, in the latest bills, right? But if you're building solar technologies, if you're building new technologies for any sort of renewables, there's a lot of incentives in the IRA to incentivize you to build those in North America. And for, for example, for solar industry, that's a pretty big change uh, for all intents and purposes China basically took over the solar manufacturing uh, from U.S. And, uh, and, and look, we're not going to get into specifics on what they may have done to win that business. There's, there's been dumping and there's been underpricing. But at the, but at the end of the day, uh, in the latest trade regime, and frankly, it really didn't change that much from Trump to Biden. It's very aggressive on reshoring. 
And the domestic policy, uh, I would say, under Biden is even more muscular than it was under under Trump. So semiconductors for sure, but it also extends in, into various parts of energy and, and critical infrastructure. I think medical devices are probably next. Interesting. You know, but whenever we talk about this, too, one of the fears you hear from people is that costs are, are going to go way up. Everything's going to cost so much more, cost so much money to make in the USA. Is that true? We, like we just had Cyber Monday. We just had Black Friday. Saw those uh, OLED TV deals. We start making those in America. You're talking like five thousand, six thousand dollar TVs. You know, um, I, I used to be in the SaaS industry, so I'm uniquely qualified to say this. We can afford it now. The margin may have to come from other industries, right? People don't realize this, but when they buy trivial things, right, like like Netflix streaming, when they buy uh, calendaring software, right, there's just a, a massive tech industry of all sorts of conveniences which are frankly non-mission critical. And these are very high margin businesses. If you look under the hood of every company out there, there's a big technology tax they pay to software companies. Now, electronics and other physical goods have been squeezed to very low margins. That's the reason why they're offshore in Asia. So I do think we're going to see inflation, right? Uh, that's that's endemic across the board. I do think we're going to end up paying more for some um, for some of the electronics, for example. But I also believe that there's room out there for people to be more judicious about how they spend their money. And I think the the, the tech bubble that's burst it may not necessarily reinflate to the same size it was before, because frankly, for the last 25 years, maybe 30 years, right? It's anything that's been considered cost of goods. They've been really squeezed hard by supply chain people. Software has gotten a pass, and I think we're going to see an inversion of that, right? We're going to see more people say, you know what? I'm going to spend more money manufacturing U.S., but there's clear reasons to do that. One of them is uh, is incentives from the government. And where am I going to get that money? I might go get the savings somewhere else in the business. Wow. Hey, look, that, that's these have all been some really great insights. For people who want to learn more about you or Macrofab, they need to know more about Nearshoring, where do I send them to? Sign up to macrofab.com. We have a Slack channel that uh, uh, that has about 700 electronics engineers in it and really helping people, first of all, build products from the ground up. But also we have dozens of uh, factories across North America and we have a, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of production lines, hundreds of production lines out there. So um, if you're looking for a way to bring manufacturing back, not just to U.S., but Canada and Mexico, uh, you, you'll find that it's a much more modern way to do it with Macrofab. So look, we look forward to hearing from you guys. Well, Misha, next time you're on, if you wear a band shirt, by the way, what band shirt would you have been wearing today? You know, so I, I've been building up my collection of uh, Joy Division and uh, New Order, right? So I'm kind of trying to balance out the entire continuum. I think these are the shirts I want to own. You know, when you first said that, I thought you said brand, because I'm like, there's no way he would know this is the cover to Pretty Hate Machine, a 1989 album by Nine Shells, but you just mentioned um, Joy course, Division it, and New Order. So that that's, that's full of records. I used to, be, used to be a rave DJ back in the days. No kidding. Wow. Still have my turntables. That's great. Very, very cool. Hey, I appreciate your time today. Thanks for coming on the show. Great meeting you. Thank you. Who is calling me? What was that? Let's make sure. Let's make sure that's not Thomas. That's the only reason I am checking. Who is 512? All right, guys in the back, we are, Thomas should be up soon. But in the meantime, let's jump over to someone who is here. It's Brad Ruffkiss. He is CEO over at BoxLock. They are a brand I think they're brand new. I'm not even sure. I haven't really been introduced. Let's let Brad do it. Brad, thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. We've actually been around since 2017. Uh, we're a supply chain access control platform. Uh, Dinner, when you you guys were first starting What the Truck, we actually were uh, at that 2018 Freight Waves. We won Best to Show. 
cool. uh, that that year. Uh, but we do we were a supply chain access control company. Uh, we help uh, leading uh, healthcare operations, logistics, and warehousing uh, companies make their supply chains more efficient, accountable, and reliable at the point where assets are stored and transferred. Okay. All right, it's loosened up a little bit. This is this is a casual <laughs> show, man. You got to hit me with the bullet points right out the gate. I thought it was really interesting looking at your site though, because it almost it's, it took like a very sort of modern spin on the 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 fears and the concerns about um, election like fraud too. So you have like a freight delivery component, but you also have like a voter security component. Has that always been there, or is that like an evolution that came sort of from the need and interest of uh, our last few elections? Yeah, so we do a lot of work in specimen logistics, and as we were looking at sort of the 2020 election and and uh, and some of the challenges that were happen- happening uh, or theories around it, we saw that the specimen pickup industry looked really similar to to you know vote ballots being being tracked and ballots being uh, uh, brought back, and sort of the accountability that you get on a package and the tracking information all the way through. And we took our specimen logistics solution, we're able to apply it to uh, election integrity, both in the back of house and, uh, and, and kind of making sure voters and election officials knew where their ballots were. Very, very cool. And talk about the delivery components. So how does it work? It's almost like from the, the video that I'm looking at, it almost looks like what they have in real estate. Now you're going to look at a house. The realtor now has an app. She opens up the, uh, the door for you and you're in the house. Yes, yeah, so we're a, a hardware-enabled SaaS platform. We've got uh, we make locking devices, right? So access control, physical security. Uh, those devices have a barcode scanner in them and cellular connectivity. Uh, they can, you know, as a result, they can do things that look very similar to uh, uh, what you'd get from a, a handheld scanner, right? If you were using it in a warehouse, we're able to perform the functions of a lock. We also can do things that, you know, intrusion detection and, and uh, you know, track and trace, right? Because we've got the ability to identify where that device is. And so there's, you know, a broad range of applications, a lot of them in, you know, unattended pickup uh, that we're doing in typically MRO parts and then uh, off hours deliveries, a lot of work in construction sites and job sites, both storing access and securing deliveries. Very, very cool. So how has the growth been through uh, these past five years? You're from startup five years. Like, you know, I've been here for, I wasn't at 2019. I didn't get here to 2018. I didn't get here until 2019. Okay. But um, uh, I, I know that there can be a lot of changes and these go rapidly. Tell me a little bit about that growth journey. Yeah. So, I mean, we started the business in small parcel delivery, uh, working with Amazon, UPS, USPS, and FedEx to secure residential small parcel. And we, we started getting calls from different leaders and different supply chain organizations, kind of 2019, 2020, saying, we think your technology is uniquely equipped to be able to help us solve some problems that they were seeing, uh, typically when they're handing assets off between one party and another. Uh, and so over the last couple of years, we've transitioned the business from what was 100% hardware with Amazon retail being our largest customer selling end consumers uh, to 100% B2B, uh, 90% software and services last year. Uh, and we're up you know, five times this year over, over last year. Uh, a lot of growth in construction. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Um, 
any growth with uh, truck drivers? I know like Amazon has lockers, but can these be used for like delivery lockers at rest stops or something like that? Is there any way to sort of expand or any even interest in doing that kind of expansion? You know, when we, when we look at lockers, we look at more likely industrial solutions. So we work with a number of Caterpillar dealers on, on parts. We work in, uh, uh, with a number of sort of uh, plumbing and HVAC distributors, think think larger industrial materials uh, on that side. We do do some over the road uh, work in, in kind of track and trace. We actually had a really funny story. We were at uh, Manifest at the beginning of last year and uh, we had waited to the last minute and we were trying to get our booth set up and we had a 20 by 10 and we, we ended up bringing a container, loading all our stuff into a container, delivering it onto the show floor and using it as a conference room. And when the, the container was was uh, brought back from the show, we got a call that said, hey, the, the, someone messed up. The container was loaded onto the wrong tr- truck. We don't know where it is, right? So we've got a, a, a you know, 10-foot Connex box loaded on the wrong truck going somewhere no one has any clue where it's on its way to. And we had, we had temperature sensors that we connect to in the truck. And it was, you know, like late January, early February, February last year, we were able to watch the truck go from Las Vegas, march all the way up to outside a Prologis warehouse uh, in Chicago. And it was that, that deep freeze. And so we had the temperature sensors in there. We were able to see it drop into, you know, down to zero and back up and sitting there. And we were able to help find and, and recover our own asset there. And we, so we do, we do a bunch of that work, uh, you know, kind of over the road uh, as well in, in track and trailers and Connex boxes and containers. Very cool. Well, hey, Brett, you are in studio, so you're going to actually have an opportunity to win a copy of Okay Boomer. We gave this to uh, Rachel. She lost earlier, so you can have her copy right here. Going to pick a trivia question at random for you, sir. See if you can. Thomas is jealous now, but he's, he's listening intently. He's in the background. For those of you who are interested, he will be right up with us next. Um, let's see. What do we got here? Okay. Science. What was the name of the first peer-to-peer file-sharing network used to share music? Uh, Sneakernet. Ooh. Was it really? This says Napster. Oh, to share music. I missed, yeah. the, I missed the music part. Ooh, well. That's all going right. to be fair. That's, that's, uh, uh, all right, I'll give you, you one more it. chance. I no, will give you one it. more chance. It's Christmas time. What mobile carrier was the first to release a phone using the Android operating system? Uh, I'm going to guess that that was uh, T-Mobile. It was T-Mobile. It was. Congratulations. <laughs> here you go, sir. Come on up. You can have this right here. This is for you. Come on. It's going to be like magic. You're just going to show up on this camera right now. Got it. Here you go. Awesome. Thanks for coming on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Take care. All right. Meanwhile. Oh, is he going to make it? <laughs> What's going on there? You guys rate this strap work. <laughs> That, don't do that, by the way. This is dangerous. Does he make it to the whole way? Producers in the back. Does he make it to the whole way? Oh, wow. 
<laughs> what, are those leaves? What are those? Christmas trees? I bet a hyper truck ERX could pull more, uh, more leaves than that. And safer. All right, stop this video. This guy's going to go on forever. I don't even know what happens at the end of that one. Um, let's tip the band, and then we have a very special guest coming up. XBO is driven to put your freight first. With coverage in 99% of U.S. zip codes, as well as key routes in Mexico and Canada, XBO will help you get your shipments where they need to go on time and damage-free. All fine-tuned by over 35 years of world-class LTL experience. Learn more at ltlsolutions.xbo.com. Now, if you want to see the hottest blazer in, fit, in freight, stay tuned to this video. I'm in New York making a special delivery with the Hylion Hypertruck ERX. We'll be posting what it is soon. Uh-huh. And, you know, it, we talked about this on Monday's show. You guys did it over the weekend. It is Thomas Healy, CEO and founder at Hylion. Why didn't you wear the jacket when you were putting the tree up, Thomas? <laughs> well, I was going to wear it for you today, but I <laughs> left it in the semi-truck, which is still on its way back to Austin. So if if it had gotten here already, I would have been showcasing it. But, uh, yeah, I there are some pictures of me wandering the streets of New York wearing it, though. Just throwing that out there. Now, so tell us about this. You know, it was a big surprise. Obviously, you were there in your blazer. You had a big cheeky grin on. You were so excited to deliver it. You kept it secret from everybody. There you are in New York City. How did this all come about? Yeah, so over the last couple of years, since we went public, we've established a great relationship with the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, I think everyone's aware, you know, there's this global shift going on, on towards moving to cleaner freight, moving towards more sustainable uh, modes of transportation. And we reached out to the New York Stock Exchange and said, hey, you have this tradition. You do every year. You bring this 80-foot-tall Christmas tree into the city. What if we actually moved it on an electric truck? And they were totally game for it, right? It was uh, right up their alley. So we teamed up. Uh, we made it happen. And the tree got delivered on Friday. And uh, it's going to get lit tonight. Uh, there's a big party happening in the streets of New York uh, to showcase this tree. Now, is there a story behind the tree at all? Like, for example, in Boston, we get it from Nova Scotia because of the Halifax explosion. And that's like the big story in Boston. Is there like a, a nice one? Not that I know of. Uh, you know, I think each year they go a little bit bigger and bigger. And I heard some uh, inklings that next year they might even be going for a hundred foot tree uh, because it's their hundred year anniversary. But I think, uh, you know, they got to search pretty far and wide to find a tree this big. So I don't know that there's necessarily a story behind it. But uh, but I think the story is, uh, you know, it was it was uh, a once in a lifetime experience getting to drive a, a tree like that through the streets of New York, which was pretty fun. Well, absolutely. It had to be a little nerve wracking. What kind of planning went into this to make this delivery happen, like from start to arrival? All right. So to be fair, uh, the team very wisely was like, hey, Thomas, why don't you do like the final mile? Uh, we'll have a, a driver that's got a lot more experience than you sure. uh, do the, the longer part of the, the leg. So uh, one of our, our veteran drivers uh, brought it from you know upper state New York, bringing it down uh, into the city. And then uh, a little bit before the stock exchange, I got in the truck. I did have to still do a, uh, a 90 degree turn uh, on the streets of New York, which was pretty interesting. Uh, thankfully, no fire hydrant were taken out or anything like that but um but no we, we made the delivery the, the tightest thing was actually uh going into the the new york stock exchange of the street in front of it there are these checkpoints these security checkpoints and they're designed for cars right and so uh so that was a little bit tight i think the tree might have uh, brushed up against one of the uh the the stop signs but uh, other than that it was good 
it's still impressive you're flat betting a tree through your, you know, your founder and CEO of the company, but you went out and so you could learn better about trucks. You actually got a CDL so you could drive these things. And then in this big, highly visible moment, you take the wheel. So what if it's only a mile? It's still through downtown New York. And if you hit the truck, it's not going to look good, right? If you hit, if you crash into something. <laughs> this is very true. We had we had this discussion of like, all right, we got to make sure this goes seamlessly. No, but it, it went great. And uh, and then being able to drive, you know, I, I put a video out there as, as well about like the truck pulling away. It was in EV mode, so the truck was silent. And like, I mean, that's just something that is really neat. Uh, you know, you're downtown New York. You hear the hustle, the bustle, uh, but then you hear this just silent truck uh, pulling away. Which, I mean, that's going to be the future here, right? These cities like New York, like uh, the West Coast, they need these electric vehicles to be able to reduce emissions in the city, but also reduce noise. I mean, that's going to be another big benefit with electric trucks. What you inspired me when I got our freight Christmas tree here, the what the truck one, I used my wife's Prius to keep it at least partially green. It was a nice, it was a nice hybrid drive. Um, what was, what was the drive? So the journey, you mentioned Austin. So you went all the way from Austin up to what, uh, upper New York and then back down to New York city. So we actually have a office in Pittsburgh. And so the hyper truck that we drove into uh, into New York came out of our Pittsburgh office. So uh, it went up to uh, I wrote it down. So it was West Nyack uh, was the, the city that we picked the tree up in. Uh, so we went Pittsburgh, West Nyack into the city, then back to Pittsburgh. All in all, it was about uh, about an 800 and something mile journey. And I know one of the questions that was already put on yeah. uh, Twitter was, did we do it on one refuel? And uh, I spoke with our team, spoke with the driver right before this. He said he did fuel up on his way back to Pittsburgh, not because he needed to, uh, just because he was passing a station. But I mean, that speaks to the range of this truck, right? That's something you wouldn't be able to do with a plug in electric truck. You can't go 800 miles or you know a thousand miles is what our truck is capable of doing uh that's really where we see the benefit of this it's not a a local delivery thousand a hundred mile truck this is a over the road type of a semi you know this, this is interesting that like let's just 30 seconds real quick just explain the difference between this and sort of your regular traditional plug-in electric truck because i think people get confused sometimes when they hear electric it must have been plugged in but you have your own story yeah, so it is an electric semi from the standpoint of the only power that we put down to the ground is through an electric motor. But as opposed to plugging this truck in to recharge it off the grid, we actually use an onboard generator to charge the batteries as you're going. So the truck you saw uh, in the videos actually uses a natural gas generator, specifically renewable natural gas is our target, where we can convert that into electricity as you're driving down the highway. And so, you know, our batteries can give you 75 miles of range in and of themselves. But then you kick that generator on and it gives you a total range of up to a thousand miles. And uh, that's a game changer, right? As we think about this industry moving over to electric, there's so much angst about range anxiety and setting up charging infrastructure. Those are things we just don't have to worry about with our truck. They, they're not a problem. It, natural gas fueling's out there and, uh, and the range is comparable to a diesel. Uh, and I, I'm sure you're going to take this uh, this opportunity of uh, we need to obviously talk about the Tesla semi, which is getting so much press right now. Well, it's hard not to, right? Because they have they have yeah. their own event coming up. They got a delivery at Pepsi, but it's a different market, right? I mean, when you're talking about the Tesla semi, 500 mile range, I I don't know if it's it's confirmed that was on a single charge, but even let's say it was. When you're talking about over the road, you still have to have some threshold on either side of that battery, so that 500 mile range quickly becomes 420. 
four hundred miles. Um, plus, you got to fit yep. the charging in there. And I think that what some people don't understand is they're always like, "Yeah, you're just going to drive there when you get to your destination, you'll charge." But see, most truck drivers are going to shippers who are not going to have charging stations for them to use. They barely even let them use bathrooms. So we gotta we gotta just put that out there. But what are your thoughts on that? Are you is it a competitor or is it a different market fit? So I think what Tesla is doing is awesome, right? And and our approach is kind of all boats rise with a high tide here. So uh, from that standpoint, we want others to bring forward plug-in electric trucks. We think we have a, a great opportunity in the range extender side of things. What we're promoting, though, is you have to use the right fit for the, the right truck for the right applications. Uh, to take a, a normal plug-in truck and try to do over-the-road trucking, you just said, like, there's no infrastructure. The truck doesn't have the range. Like, I, I'm a strong believer in, like, for plug-in electric trucks, our area for opportunity is not in uh, in the, um, there. the challenge is not the battery pack. It's actually what charging infrastructure are you going to use? I think we will get battery advancements where we can have a 500-mile range truck or even greater, but the problem is going to be where do you plug that in? What grid is going to be able to support that? Uh, from the early indications of these fleets that are adopting trucks that just have 100, maybe 200 miles of range, they're hearing from the utility that maybe you can deploy five of them and then the grid's going to be overloaded. Yeah, I, I've heard some early results on the short. So, to me, yeah, to me, and you make a great point there. To me, the 500 range breakthrough, it's not, it's it's a huge breakthrough in what people were saying, like the 150s and the 250s can do. Because I've, I've also gotten reports back from people I know that have some of those out there. And they said, this thing is almost unusable except on our most dedicated routes because of that battery threshold on both sides. I know they said 150 is like a marketing number when they say that's the range. And now you think you're like, you're in a truck and you're cutting it under 100 miles. I mean, that's not that usable. But that Tesla could be, you know, what I like talking to you about, though, is you allow the Q&A, you allow the community, especially that Twitter community to get involved here and ask the questions. And they put some good ones. So I'm going to toss it over to them and we'll get through some of those. The first one comes from Iron Man, Iron Man 111. He said, any difficulty in operating in the cold Thanksgiving weather impact on battery? How is the winter testing coming along? Well, from our standpoint, so normally EVs do have uh, significant reductions in the range when it's cold because the batteries don't like cold, right? But from our standpoint, we have a heater to be able to heat the batteries up, and then we get the majority of our range out of the natural gas range extender. So uh, we're not like a normal EV where, yeah, maybe you're going to get 150 miles in the in the warm, but then you're only going to be at 100 in the cold. That's not really our setup, which uh, really speaks to being a, a good solution for the cold, actually. Interesting. Okay, well, silent alert one. He says, total mileage of the trip and how many times has was it refueled? You mentioned that you refueled on the way back to refuel. And also, it is highly unplanned to advertise their first official ERX delivery as a net negative trip. Yeah, so we're actually working with the uh, the station providers. So, you know, ANG, Beyond 6 is one we trust. They actually just got acquired by Chevron. Uh, you have others like Clean Energy, U.S. Gain, Trillium that are out there. Uh, we are working with them in order to figure out, you know, what percentage of the fuel they're providing is RNG, and it's a big percentage of the fuel, and then be able to provide to the fleets uh, a a positive emissions uh, profile. So uh, that is all capable and doable and things that we're working on so that we can ensure that these fleets are getting RNG and then uh, be able to provide them a emissions profile that is ideally net carbon negative. Uh, and, you know, just to be totally transparent and clear, like uh, you 
the RNG side of things is all a credit-based system. So you work with your, your station that's out there that's providing the natural gas, and you tell them how much of that fuel you want to come from RNG. And a lot of the fleets we're working with are saying they want 100% RNG, which the stations are able to provide. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for clearing that up. I wasn't fully sure on that one either. Um, another gentleman here, he says, uh, ask if Hylion has thought about doing as much of the validating as possible while doing Goodwill charity promotional events around the Austin Dallas area, like Toys for Tots, Food Banks, Red Cross, etc. So more, um, uh, you know, uh, philanthropic, but also uh, showcasing events coming up. Yeah, so we'll continue to do more. And uh, we started doing some freight deliveries with fleets. We'll do some more events like this tree uh, delivery, for instance. So you'll see more of that in our, our future here. But uh, testing and validation, we do some of it on the road. We do a lot of it on test tracks. I think one of the earlier questions was about the winter testing and, and where that stands. So uh You'll see trucks actually in the very near term. What are we, November 30th today? So uh, very, very soon here, we'll be uh, doing some track testing uh, for uh, for winter testing of the Hypertruck ERX. So I know that's one of the big milestones we've talked about for a while is, hey, winter testing, we need to make sure this is robust. So the next you know four months here is a, a critical time for us, but we are uh, are geared up to make it happen, which is good. So is your system, when I'm going around the track, is it going to make me significantly faster than a Pete without your system on it? Uh, so it, it has much faster acceleration uh, than a, a standard diesel truck has, for sure. Uh, you can actually, like, throw someone back in the seat. Yeah. Uh, or if they're, they're sitting on the bunk in the back, they, uh, they usually their feet come up. They roll off the ground a little bit. Uh, but... Um, in terms of the, the up, upper end speed, uh, very similar to a diesel truck. You know, the truck is capable of going into the 70s uh, in terms of speed. But a lot of fleets are telling us they don't want to give drivers that, right? And even on the acceleration, fleets are asking us, derate this truck some. If you, if you give a driver too much horsepower, too much torque, they're just going to burn through tires. They're going to make the vehicle inefficient. So uh, the nice thing is we can control all this in software. So the fleet tells us, hey, make it just slightly more powerful than a diesel. Drivers will love it. And, uh, and make sure you're going to conserve you know, our tire life and not just uh, give them an overpowered vehicle. Interesting. We had a question about the software. That was actually from James Moore. He was curious about that component. He said, in interviews with, high, let's say, in older interviews, that HiSight would be free for the first year. Can we expect to start seeing subscription revenue, or is there new guidance you can offer on this front? So it's sort of like the SaaS side or the software side of what you're doing. What's going on there? Yeah, so in the, t in the cab, we have a, uh, a tablet, and we're showing the driver kind of our vehicle performance, how it's operating, things that they need to be aware of. Uh, we see as we go forward, we're going to be able to su um, supply additional benefits. So uh, things like, you know, how can we use this data to actually make the, the operation of the vehicle better, make it smarter? And uh, can we do things like predictive maintenance? So this is something we've spent some time on where we're looking at you know, when, a, when does a component fail and can you actually predict that failure before it happens? These are all things that as we go forward, we would intend to actually provide them to the fleet, but do it as a, a software as a service. So have a monthly fee associated with it. So uh, at this stage, you know, we're, we're at the point where we're providing these, uh, the benefits of the, the high site and what's in the cab for free. Uh, as we go forward and we add more benefits to it, the plan would be to make a subscription model for that. 
John Pallister says, I see Coca-Cola was a sponsor of the tree event. Please ask Thomas if he has talked with them about doing fleet trials or maybe doing a future Super Bowl ad featuring the two companies working together. That escalated quickly. <laughs> so if uh, if the viewers listening right now, those on Twitter, can uh, can get Coca-Cola behind a Super Bowl ad, we will be there. Just one word of caution. They need to fund it. We're not funding that one. <laughs> the uh, the uh, Super Bowl ad costs are, uh, are a lot. But, uh, you know, this is actually a funny thing. We posted on Twitter, like, our, uh, what do you think this delivery is going to be on Friday? Someone posted the uh, the Coca-Cola truck all lit up. And uh, I, put, I tweeted back to him. I was like, hey, let's get Coca-Cola involved. Let's see if we can do this. We can power those lights for days on that truck. So, you know, our goal is uh, let's let's get engagements with fleets like Coca-Cola or many others out there that uh, are moving shipments day in and day out, but also have these special opportunities like the the Christmas truck that they have. And uh, let's pull it with an electric semi. And so uh, keep tweeting at Coca-Cola and we'll see if we can make it happen. You hear that, people? Maybe Clydesdales. Maybe Thomas will be riding a Clydesdale through New York with that blazer on next time you see him. I would definitely be here for that one. <laughs> uh, Clint, Clint Musgrove, he actually has a really interesting question, and it kind of talks about these different energies. And he says, curious why a fleet would want need to go carbon zero hydrogen when RNG is carb negative and should always be cheaper. If Carno is so efficient and can use RNG hydrogen, why transition to fuel cell? Are they easier to manufacture or cheaper? Great job. All right. So loaded question. Let's, let's break it down a little bit here of difference between RNG and hydrogen. So it depends on whether you're going to look at well to wheel or you're going to look at tailpipe emissions of the vehicle. So if you look at well to wheel, which means you're going to look at what's the pollution to uh, get this fuel, extract the fuel all the way through running it through the vehicle. RNG has the ability to be net carbon negative, something that uh, conventionally hydrogen does not, right? The only way you're going to get negative RNG, uh, negative hydrogen is if you use RNG to make it, actually, which some people are saying we should do. I'm not a big fan of that one. It's just inefficient. But uh, but if you look at just tailpipe emissions, RNG will still have, a t- will still have tailpipe emissions, right? Uh, there will be particulates coming out of the tailpipe. So that's where so many people are excited about hydrogen because they say, hey, it's zero tailpipe emission. Uh, but we're excited about natural gas and renewable natural gas because we're saying, hey, it's actually better as a whole system because it can be net carbon negative. And then our vehicle has the ability to drive in zero tailpipe uh, emission events where you're like in a city or uh, going into ports, you just turn the genset off, you drive zero tailpipe emissions. And then when you get out of the city, you kick the genset back on. So it gives you zero emission, zero tailpipe emission capable with a overall better emissions profile well-to-wheel versus hydrogen normally will have a worse overall well-to-wheel emissions profile, but will always be zero tailpipe emissions. So a little bit loaded. I, I, did that make sense? As a, no, yeah, uh, it, it a, did. Trying to explain it. And even when it's explained to me, it's still, I, I can see why people get a little bit confused about this stuff. It's, you got to like write it down on a piece of paper and put it and put it in front of your, uh, your face. It makes sense how you described it. It's just it, when you're transitioning to energy, it's almost like, it's almost like learning a new language a little bit. It, it is. And like, there's some stats out there that when you look at them, it really makes you scratch your head. Like, really, is this the setup? Like, Hydrogen, most the average hydrogen made in the U.S. is actually more pollutive than diesel fuel today, which is kind of crazy, right? You think about everyone's talking about hydrogen is it's this clean fuel. It's where we're heading. Well, it can be a very, very clean fuel if you use wind and solar and hydro to make it. 
But if you're going to use processes like steam methane reforming, it's not clean at all. It's actually, and in many instances, worse than diesel is. So that's where we just have to be really smart about this uh, this problem that we have in front of us. It's not going to be a one-size-fits-all solution, but you know, the analogy I've used in the past, let's not turn on a coal-fired power plant to power up an uh, electric truck. You know, those are the situations that we need to avoid, and, uh, and that's where we see the hypertruck ERX is like, it can use renewable natural gas. The, the majority of fuel sold at stations is already renewable natural gas. You're basically using pollution to fuel up your vehicle to charge the batteries. It, it can't get much better than that is the way we, we view it. Yeah. Well, I got one, what, two, well, I got one thing to say to you, because this isn't really a question. It's more NorCal Carters. I know you are a cart guy. They put a tweet here, so I'll read this for them. They said, would you like to sponsor a carting company with your ERX diesel pusher RV? I'm in California. Our leadership loves green initiatives. Happy racing. So just keep NorCal Carters in mind, Thomas. And the last one here is a very simple one. What do you want for Christmas? (laughs) Um, Let's see here. All right, I'll go with the answer that probably most of the people viewing uh, are looking for as well. Uh, let's see some more support behind the Hylion share price. Let's keep head- keeping oh. that going in the right direction. And uh, I think if we do that for Christmas, uh, that's a great outcome. I thought you were going to say Taco Bell gift card or something. I was like, yeah. It's, you hey, know. you know, we can do that too. I'm, I'm not uh, opposed to that one. <laughs> hey, well, hey th- thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for giving us more insight into that tree journey. Keep doing uh, the good work out there and keep doing uh, the, the big moves. Appreciate you. Thanks for having us on. Happy holidays. Take care. Good stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I want to see him again. Merry Christmas, Thomas. Good times with you guys. All right, let's get to uh, Rooster and Super Trucker over there. Sorry for making you boys wait. Got a little rooster. Boop. <laughs> Sorry, making you wait, but Thomas was uh, was being really interesting. He's been very gracious and, and more important. Well, yeah, he was answering all re- Twitter questions too. That's, it's actually one of my he's one of my favorite people to interview, and it's not because I'm lazy and I don't have to write most of the questions. It's just there's a very active community behind it, and there's people who are very interested. And it's always helpful. Like I'm sure you guys, now that you produce content online, you notice it's very helpful when you can get that sort of feedback, that instant feedback, because it tells you which direction to go and which things to research. Yeah, and yeah. pulling off a 90-degree turn in New York City is no joke, so no. kudos to him. I was no, going to no, ask no, no, you no, guys, no, no. yeah, does anyone, can anyone crap on him for only doing the final mile on that one? I think that that is Absolutely more than not. admirable on a photo kind of event like what that last mile was. No, it's final super mile is always the hardest mile. Reward. It is, yeah, try parking those things. It's like flying an airplane. Yeah. You know, the hardest part is taking off and landing. Well, maybe not the taking off, but the landing. <laughs> um, anyways, let's let's take a look at some delivery right here. Let's look at a hero UPS driver. Roll this tape. Package has arrived. Four-year-old's out there to get it. Oh, oh stuck. Falls right on him. He's getting crushed under the thing. Yeah, little, yeah, little man needs help. Fortunately, look at the driver here, though. He doesn't just go off to his next thing. And look, he's got, like, leadership behind his back, looking at that stopwatch for every stop he makes. But he runs back, and he saves this kid from being crushed. His name is actually Marco Angel, ironically enough. Um, yeah, Marco Angel. You say that was Max Pred. It was a 97-pound package containing a hammock. Oh. But it got me thinking. You guys are you guys that deliver. You're put in situations all the time. What is your hero story? Let's start with you, Justin. Uh, probably a month on the road, I was in St. Louis and I watched a car in front of me get rear-ended and uh, got spun around, slammed to a wall. Uh, I get out of my truck and another driver as well, and we run up to her and she was stuck. She couldn't get out of the car. 
uh, there was smoke coming up from under the hood. So I took a knife and cut her seatbelt off and we dragged her out. Um, so yeah, that was a little excitement on my, in the early days of my career. Wow. Were you expecting that to go like how the rest of it would go, but then it was just a little bit more mundane. Thankfully it's yeah. It's like 99.9% sheer boredom. And then like that 0.01% just sure tear the hell's angels the point oh wait they're one percent uh rooster you're rooster yourself i was actually i got on like a hell's angels kick last night and i was reading like the history of the hell's angels and uh i believe the name was like the dirty bastards or something like the founder before it became the hell's angels so he had good names like wherever he was going rooster how about you you ever save anybody out there uh there was one time going through uh wyoming in the winter there was a guy broke down on the side of the road i pulled over it was like uh 20 degrees outside he was an elderly gentleman and you know i stayed on the side of the road with him till i can get i called into the not emergency number for the police and let them know and they got a tow truck and a car to come out pick the guy up take him to a shelter wow help save the guy from freezing to death well, that's good, and you don't want that on your uh, your conscience. Well, a little cowbell for both of you for your heroic moments and for that UPS driver, Marco Angel, too. Very, uh, very cool of him. I only started, like, I saw him, I was not driving. I was a waiter, and I saw a motorcyclist fall off a motorcycle, like, on a surface street and get all messed up. Did I help out with that? Not fun. Not fun to be in those situations. Or these ones. Let's say you get that Tesla Semi, right? You're going to deliver at Pepsi, and what happens? You pull into this rest stop, and what do you see? Look at all these bears. Look at all these bears. It's the flag of California come to freaking life. That makes me think too, what flag would be the scariest if the, like the thing on it came alive? California, right? It's a bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I don't know of any others that have animals on the flags. We have swords. I mean, we got, ours is kind of gnarly with like an eagle. We know it's not on our flag though. It's on our money. I'm just trying to think of like a living sword. Meat. A living sword would be pretty terrifying. I would think so. A these, turkey. These guys are be hungry. I wonder the, the, if there's trash on the ground that they're looking through. Is that there? So when you have to, have you encountered bears? Have you ever encountered bears or, or angry wildlife or just suspicious wildlife at the rest stop? Just stupid deer. Lots just of stupid deer. deer. Yeah, but they're like your stupid arch enemy deer. as a driver, right? Yeah. It's like the What's deer that? the most dangerous thing to a driver because that's usually what you're going to hit. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, elk. Elk are basically just deer on steroids. You know, deer will do some damage, but uh, an elk will total elk moves. total your vehicle. I, you know, I was going to ask you a weirdest encounter, but there's this video and it's getting old now because like we went to Thanksgiving and we haven't had a chance to get to it. And I want to talk about this stupid driver and the irony of him wearing a mask while doing something insanely dangerous. Can you roll this tape? Look at this guy. He's at, yeah. he's at the school. He's ghost riding the whip right here. And as he's walking, he's got a mask on too. And outside, I just thought it was like irony of ironies. A lot of the comments were kind of poo-pooing him on wearing the mask, but also just it's not his truck. Uh, the guy yeah. is completely locked on his account. He's deleted all his all his content. Uh, we kind of put him on blast <laughs> for what he did. I don't oh. know if he was the one actually walking the truck or if he was just the one who recorded it. But either way, close enough to it. Just don't do that. Yeah, you know, yeah. That's- yeah, no, well, so to let viewers out there know, is this something that happens at every CDL school or is that, I mean, it no. seemed like the react, because there were a few drivers no. who blew, no. they're like, let the guy do whatever he wants to do. Yeah. Now, it, if you're going to, you know, be a clown, join the circus. You know, you're professional. You have to act like it. Also, you've got the company's name, phone number, DOT number, everything on the truck right there. I'm sure they're pretty, they're not pleased right now. We, we tried reaching out to them, but you know, they hang up on us whenever we call. So I'm sure they're uh, <laughs> happy with them either. <laughs> they got you on speed. Well, hey guys, you, you have been, um, 
you've been working really hard on a very trucking Christmas. It's 12 days of trucking Christmas gifts and things that truckers want from truckers' perspectives. You two guys, you can find that series on backthetruckup.com. But since we got to abbreviate things here, let me ask you guys, what would you want if you're still in the truck, right? And you're thinking about something I need for my truck. What would you want for Christmas, Justin? Well, this time you're definitely wipers. You know, you, you switch from, you know, regular wipers to heavy duty wipers for the winter. Yeah. Um, in, in any kind of winter survival gear, you know, a nice uh, weatherproof winter coat, gloves. Boots? Nice galoshes? Yeah, boots. Yep. Yeah, good boots. Oh, nice. What about you, Rooster? Are you wearing those rain galoshes? Uh, air fryer? I, I go, no, not air fryer, but if you want to buy me a set of uh, tire chains, go ahead and do that. Those things are not yeah. cheap. Mm. Yeah, what do they run you? What, what do a pair of tire chains run? Uh, hold on, 149, 149 Each? a piece right now, and you need eight of them. You do, oh, you don't have to put them on all 18 wheels? No. No, uh, well, there, there's different regulations for where you're at and what you're having to do. All right, well, hey, thank you, everyone, for tuning in to What the Truck. Send us your ornaments. Find me on Twitter, at Timothy Dooner. Download the show wherever you go. Don't be a stranger. Peace and love. Bye. <laughs>